Before I say anything about that, though, I, I just want to um, say thanks for doing this. Oh, know? man. Really hey, that's not even a problem at all. I'm cool. Okay. But when did y'all meet? Ma'am, my early my earliest memory of your dad, <clears throat> right? We were Jehovah's Witnesses at a Kingdom Hall in Chicago. You know, we met in Chicago, all of our families, it was the Lawsons, the Clarks, and the Grants. We all migrated from Chicago as Jehovah's Witnesses to Albuquerque. You know, yeah. And the thing about it is your granddad, he we moved out here first and your granddad uh, transferred and he didn't have a place to stay so he stayed with our family for six months before their house was built. You know, and when their house was built, the rest of the family came out and joined them. You know, that's when we really started, you know, getting close events. Your dad, yeah. Okay. So how old were y'all when that happened, would you say? At that time, you know, I was about nine or ten. And thinking about it, your dad was six years older than me, so he's like about sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. it is crazy. I didn't even know y'all were that far apart. Yeah, we're very far apart. And Derek, well, Derek, no, but Derek was actually, uh, I think he's two years younger than me. You know, okay. and so that type of thing. And so I have a brother that's a year younger than Derek was a year younger than my younger brother. And so it was Derek, my younger brother, me, and then Vince and Nate, and of course your auntie Sharon, you know, they were much older. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when did y'all uh, start hanging out? Was it like in adult years, or was it that whole time when like you were young? You were no, the, min the minute their, their house was born, was ready, because we were living on a street called Bermuda. They lived on a street called Genoa, but it was just right up the street from our house. It was, you know, probably a hundred yards, I mean, very close. And so we would walk to, we got to their house almost daily, you know, and we considered your granddad and your grandmom, like our uncles and aunties. I mean, we were very close, extremely close to the entire family. Yeah. yeah I mean, I was just under the impression that y'all was family, you know? No. Like, I, I know y'all were like, uh, like, we're all Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah, and through, so that, through, through the religion, you know, we were extremely close. And especially because we had a relationship from Chicago, and especially because there was another black family, the Clarks, who we were also extremely close to. And so all three of the families had a real tight bond, especially yeah. being black, Jehovah's Witnesses, and from yeah. Chicago. Yeah, which is wild. It was oh, wild. And to all come and south side of Shy, commute to Albuquerque. What, what was the reason for that? Do you know? Like, Definitely. We all, they all, the families had kids and none of the parents wanted the kids raised in Chicago. Crime rate even back then was through the roof. It's like, we got to get these kids out of Chicago just to, you know, give some security to the families, you know, yeah, that type yeah. of thing. And so family unity, all that type of thing. And so it was kind of like a good thing. At least it was intended to be a good thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah with sure. the best intentions, yeah. But that makes sense. I just wonder why Albuquerque of all places. Nah. The thing about it was there was another family, and I'm not sure if anybody's ever talked to you about it, but another black family, what, they, what happened was this other black family, South Side of Shy, uh, serious entrepreneurs, big time in the rib game. They, they owned a, a restaurant here called the Johnson's Rib Hut. It was off of Central at the time. This was back in the 1970s. But through the, the relationship with the Johnsons, our family came out and when the minute we got here and hooked up with the Johnsons, they showed us all over Albuquerque, showed us all this new real estate development, all that type of situation. My parents was hooked. They got back to Chicago, started talking to 
your grandparents, your grandparents had a close relationship with the Clarks. We're talking about the Clarks. Before we knew it, everybody was coming back and forth. Everybody was buying property, you know. And so, you know, you could get a house out here. Back then, when they moved from Chicago to Albuquerque, those houses were twenty-four thousand dollars. The one on Genoa. Twenty-four thousand dollars. The one on Genoa. Twenty-four thousand. You know, very. And back then, it was considered a lot of money. Can you yeah, imagine twenty-four thousand? Yeah. You know, that's what they pay for those houses. That's you know, wild. Amazingly cheap. It was like 1970, 71. That's insane. Mm -hmm. That's insane. It is insane. If you bought an expensive house back then, you paid twenty-six. You know, yeah. 26 was considered a lot. I'm not sure what the interest rates were. They weren't really discussing the interest rates and all those types of things with me. But yeah. the property value, because even when my parents sold their house, they bought that house in 1970, man. They sold that house in 1986 when they moved it to San Diego. They sold it for 86000 And they thought at the time they had got a roll win. They had already like tripled their money on it. You know, so they thought they had really done some amazing things. That house right now is worth almost I think it's worth over four hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, something like that. Same, yeah. same, I mean, the same house, thinking. right around four hundred thousand. You know, yeah. and so that's just the, over the course of the years, those same, same houses. You know. And how, how did y'all as black folks from Chicago, the Jehovah's Witnesses, mm -hmm. have the money to do all this? All of our families, like your father, your grandfather was a pharmacist. My father worked for Mountain Bell, plus my mother worked for the post office. Everybody had real solid jobs. Real they were job. real solid. Uh, members of the community, you know, they all own their own homes, even in Chicago, all that type of thing. They sold their homes, put their equity into their new homes, all that type of thing. And so it all worked really well for them. They all transferred, put in their job transfer, and just transferred, came out. You know, so it was an easy transition. You know, but for the Clarks, the other family, unfortunately, their job situation wasn't as stable because even though they pre-qualified for their house, they were never able to move into it. And so they were supposed to live right up the street from us too, from all, everybody. Everybody had a, a house in the, within 100 yards of each other, but the Clarks never moved in. And it was always a real downer for everybody that came to Chicago because that was the start of everybody kind of separating a little bit. It's because they never qualified for their home in the end, for whatever reason. That's you know, sad. It was sad. They ended up living in an apartment for years, yeah. you know. So, but man, yeah, wow. that was crazy. But through the years, man, Vince became extremely close. What happened was, you're not gonna, well, you might know this about your dad. Your dad graduated from high school when he was like 16, 17, very early, you know. And so when I was a little guy, the, the earliest memory of Vince is graduated from school, boom, 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 he's out. Right away, he's working at a grocery store called Furs. Right away, Vince is making checks, you know bringing that money home every week, you know, and making fairly good money. He was just stacking groceries, that type of thing. But what people didn't know about Vince, but extremely generous nature, most generous person I've ever known, even to this very day, a gen the most kind heart that you would ever meet in a person. This guy, I'm, I'm like 11, 10, 11, he's, 16, 17, just graduated working full, you know, full-time, second grocery, whatever. He's got to go, he don't even have a car at this point. He has to go to Coronado and he has to buy some dress clothes, you know, Kingdom Hall. His, his, your granddad is making Vince start buying some of his own clothes. Yeah. And so Vince is going to have to take the bus to Coronado. 
and make a long story short, we live on Bermuda, they live on Genoa. He has to come down our street anyway, just to catch the bus and everything that at that time. Just to, just the way everything was kind of routed. So right away, this cat stops at my house. No, we, no cell phones at the time, nothing. Somebody knocking on the door, but ringing the door, that's a big thing. We look forward to that shit. As nowadays, people get shot for that yeah, shit, yeah. you know? But we used to look forward to that shit. You know, so boom, doorbell rings. This nigga, man, this nigga, ring the doorbell. Only thing he said, the only thing this brother told me, I'm a kid, I'm only like 11. He's 16, 17. He said, get ready, we're going to the mall. He said, get ready. I still, I can't even go without asking. I gotta go ask my, you know, my, my parents, my father, my father's strict. You know, he says no to everything. You know, but he said yes to Vince. Vince can take me to the mall. I've never been in the mall, never been on the bus, never been nothing. But this nigga, we walking, you know. Yeah. Right when we get out the house, right when we get out the house, this nigga peels me off, pop, pop, pop. Four or five dollar bills. I ain't never had four or five dollar bills my whole <laughs> lifetime. I don't know what kind of checks Vince was made. He didn't have that much. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. You know, put it in your pocket. You know, we're going to play video games, you know, whatever. You know, we're going to have a good time. I have a very strict dad. My dad wouldn't even give us a quarter. He wouldn't give us, I got 20, I never had, I had $5 before from other relatives. Never for $5 bills in my entire life. I'm 11 years old. We got there, man. Make a long story short. This is before Chick-fil-A even became big or whatever. The Chick-fil-A in the mall. You know, right away we stopped to eat. Right away he wanted to eat. Right away he wanted to play video games. Right away we shopped. I mean, one of the most amazing early memories of Vince. And that was my first memory of him. Second memory of him. Nigga get ready. I come outside. 250 Enduro Yamaha sitting out there. He done just bought his first bike. You know, and he wants to go ride this thing, and so he wants me on the back. I don't even got a helmet, I don't got nothing. I'm just holding on, praying to God I don't get sucked off the back of this thing, you know. We're on the streets, we're on the dirt, we just riding everywhere. And he's excited as a kid could be on this first bike of his own, man. We had another friend in our Kingdom Hall, he was a professional motocross racer, his name was Kurt Hamilton. And Kurt Hamilton and Vince were extremely close. And through Kurt, through his relationship with Kurt Hamilton, because Kurt Hamilton rode Husqvarna at that time, and he had two seriously modified Husqvarna's in his garage. Vince went out and bought a Yamaha because he, he was walking back and forth to work. He needed the transportation to get back and forth to work, but at the same time he wanted to ride with Kurt. So for the longest time, Vince wrote this bike that really wasn't even made for the, for the dirt. It was made for the street and the dirt, but he tried to ride it really hard on the dirt and then at the same time use it for transportation. But making a long story short, within a few months that bike was beat up. You know, I mean, it was beat up bad. But make a long story short, Vince continuously bridge yourself on from that point on you know what his next deal was in the bike what do you think nigga get ready you know what he was in a thunderbird and the only reason he bought this thunderbird was because his parents owned one they owned this green thunderbird so vince went out and bought this blue thunderbird brand new on his own you know he continued to buy thunderbirds he had a few thunderbirds but this brother was so on top of his game early on man That's he was that was extremely what age was he yeah like i said he graduated early and he went right away to work he, right away he got that job at the grocery store and they loved him there 
he could have been, he was promoted as a manager, he had keys to the store, he could have done anything that, your dad was the most likable person I ever knew in my entire lifetime. Everybody liked Vince. No one did not like him. Thank you. Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, sorry. That's all good. He was the hardest worker, the most, he thought he was the most athletic person. He called himself Vince the Prince. He thought he was handsome. He thought he was, he just thought, uh, uh, he thought a lot of himself. Table? Yes, uh, now. And the tomato basil? No, I don't think. Uh, they might be the wrong no. table. Because I, I you gotta. Table is? I gotta have possible. <laughs> but he was so likable, and he's such a good, hard worker, and so dependable, and so generous that it was so hard not to like him. I didn't know anybody that. Yes, okay. now. Oh, oh, that's all right. Don't, don't worry about that. Right back in 10 seconds. Thank you. But, you know, the downside of that, you know, that too many, too many guys would latch on to Vince. Like, I wasn't as nice as Vince. You know, Vince was... Vince <sighs> was, was, he wasn't a god to me, but he was damn near a god to me, you know. And I did not like people messing with him, you know, or even getting too close to him for the most part. I'm not going to say I was jealous or envious or anything of that nature. I was just younger and I couldn't do the same things that a lot of other people could do with him. So he hung out with a lot of different cats and people gravitated to him very easily. He got him involved in a lot of things he, he would have never involved himself in. He would have never done some of the things he did, you know, because he was involved in a lot of things, man. And, and I know your dad. Thank you. I know I you're dead. You real about all that too. Like, no, man. I, I, like I said, I got a story for you later. But you're, it's gonna, gonna be pretty good. You know, yeah. I, I, want, I want all the information. You're dead. Who he was kicking it with? How, how far down a, a hole he got himself into? If he was able to get back out and you know any of that stuff, you know. Man. I like how you going through a timeline. It's cool. He was. I can say early on, the events that I remember was probably like I said, the one in the most, I don't want to say popular, because it wasn't popular, but just, just plain likable, like just being around him, people seriously just wanted him to be in the room, you know, because he just brought that much, that much character, that much, um, Raised. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but he was that person. But through the years, you could see it changing. And what happened was, it's the craziest thing what happened. Vince made wonderful money at the time. He always had wonderful money. But what happened was he had too many people around him that did not have wonderful money. People wouldn't pay the end of the rent, Vince paid the whole rent. People wouldn't have money for the utility, Vince paid the utility. People didn't have money to smoke, Vince buy the weed. Vince paid for almost everything if he had the money. You know, people would lean on him for the money. People would borrow from Vince when he paid Vince back. You know, all the typical things that black yeah. people do, you know, because yeah. we weren't hanging around Jehovah's Witnesses. A lot of times yeah. we were hanging around other black people that we knew through just through being here in Albuquerque and everything else, you know. Yeah. So there's a whole. Yeah. 
this is all at the same time that crack was going through the roof. And your dad, unfortunately, was the biggest crackhead this earth has ever produced. You know, yeah. I hate to say it, and it hurt. I, I watched it from the day it started to the day he had no more control over himself. And I watched a guy that I damn near worshipped to a guy that I didn't even trust anymore. I didn't even trust him around my, around me. Several times my house got broken into, things happened, truck got broken into. Only Vince knew where I was and things that I had, you know. It wasn't him that was doing the things that he did or the things that didn't happen. It was all this drug affiliated things. But what happened gradually is Vince started doing a little cocaine and because he worked graveyards, you know, he worked night his stalker, you know, and he was a night manager. So he managed the store and he also stocked the store. But it was very demanding on him. And anybody that's ever worked graveyard knows what happened is you get off drilling rush, now you up. Everything's cool. Here come 11 o'clock and you gotta go back to work. You dragging like a motherfucker. You gotta get back out here, you ain't had no sleep. A lot of times, Vince is working on an hour of sleep. Yeah. He discovered that cocaine. Oh, I can pop by this cat's house. Boom, give me a little eight ball. That eight ball gonna last me a couple days. I can, you know, I'm good for a couple days. That eight ball ended up, usually last a couple days, start only lasting just a day. Now it don't even last a day, it's only lasting a couple of hours. You know, you start cooking it up, it ain't even lasting a couple of hours. It's, it ain't even enough to do nothing with. And so, make a long story short, through the relationship with drugs and the enormous um, cost that it would take just to comfortably be able to do the drugs that you wanted to do, he allowed himself to start listening to people were around him. And so their first their first scheme was Vince was night manager, night stalker. You know, trucks would come and dock in the back of the at, at the, at the, of the of the grocery store. Vince knew what was in those trucks and they, they only wanted the cigarettes. They would break in the truck, pop, pop, pop. They would still case the cigarettes and they could flip those cigarettes on stores on Central because people could sell cigarettes by the pack or by the, or by the but these guys were getting cases, you know. So they could get hundreds of dollars per case, like two or three hundred dollars per case when they store. You still ten cases, you know, you got a few thousand dollars, but you started doing it too much. You know, you start leaving too many trace trails. People start wondering who's doing it. But make a long story short, through a lot of things that were going on like that. That was when he first started on this downhill slope. Is because he had this wonderful relationship with the grocery stores and he had this need to get extra money. And the only way that he could get the extra money was to break in the store. He even convinced me that a store, I'm not even sure if you know the store, it's on Montgomery and San Mateo. At the time it was called Skag's Apple Beta. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. You got a phone? Uh, uh, it's a recorder. Yeah, we had to pick somewhere. It's better than traffic outside. You could have sat out there, then that way you went. Oh, I guess what you, I see. Okay, we'll be quiet. Oh, you got to do it too. But yeah, through, through, and, and the thing about what Vince is, he wasn't just like going home and cooking up some rocks and smoking it by himself. You know, he had cats they was cooking it up with. And so at first everybody's real cool because there's plenty to go around. 
But as things get lean, guys get real, um, just selfish, you know. Like they don't want somebody else getting more than they got, or you know, you, you, you got you holding the pipe too long. Just real petty stuff starts going on yeah, yeah, with with, yeah. with with fiends. I mean, they get or just thinking somebody else is getting more than you getting, or just anything like that, because they're passing this pipe around. I mean, it's not like they have everybody have their own pipe. They're, they're passing, they're cooking their basin, you know, and they're going so it can go quick. And when it goes quick, they want to get back together and they want more. And the way they can go get more is to literally either go get some money or try to steal some drugs. Make a long story short, this is how they got into their first big, real big piece of trouble is this cat said he's going to sell them a couple eight balls. Boom, boom, boom. They go get the money. They're going to get the eight balls. Or, or, you know, I'm not sure exactly what amount they were going to get, but definitely a few eight balls. This guy sells them some fucked up shit. It's not even real, real shit. They try to cook it up, and nothing comes back. No rocks, nothing. Make the motherfuckers is mad, insane. They gotta go to work. They don't got the shit. They tired. They been running around. They got nothing for it. They go get this bitch before they go back to work, and somehow they put them in a trunk of their car, and then they go to work and they leave them in the car in the trunk, and they start saying. They left him there. Somehow or another, they let, decided to let him go. I don't even know why they did all this. But when he gets out, he goes right to the authorities, right and told it. Right away, they start thinking they should have killed this dude. They start saying insane things. Events even talking in terms of kill. Really, this is what it's getting down to over this? That's how far it was getting. It was just dumb stuff like that. But that's when he first started getting into trouble with the law, you know, as it pertained to that. Uh, abduction of this particular person, yeah. you know, and it just started snowballing those types of things, you know, to the point where, you know, his job started suffering, they didn't trust him anymore, they fired him, he started working jobs that he was way too intelligent to work, way too uh, good of a guy, working for a cabinet maker, building out cabinets, he was doing anything and everything type of jobs just to kind of keep himself going type situation but in general man the dude was his management material this dude could have been running a store he could have had his own store any, any time in any place and been making hundreds of thousand dollars a year like it was nothing you know but because of his generous nature his generous character you know people latching on to him people introducing him to things that he would have never done on his own uh, just ended up just taking complete control of them to the point where there's a couple of brothers that we hung out with real tough, this guy named Russell. I forget Russell's last name, but Russell has such an influence on him. Another guy was uh, a guy named uh, Greg, Gregory Greer, Greg Greer. Uh, Vince and Greg lived together, different things. Uh, different big, big, Big black, Greg was big, you know, he was married to another black girl at the time, but Vince lived with them for a lot of years and different things, but Greg took a lot of advantage of Vince. Greg didn't have work, never had money, always made Vince pay for almost everything that was going on, you know, leashed onto him, all that type of thing. When Lisa got involved and started trying to get Vince away from Greg, because that's when your mom first met Vince, he was kind of living with Greg and that type of thing. That's kind of Lisa came into the picture. And when Lisa came into the picture, Vince and Lisa were extremely close man i know your mom not well but i know her as vince is 
wife, girlfriend, mom with his kids, all that stuff. The, uh, the woman that, you know, really stuck by him and put up with a lot of shit. I mean, I even, like I said, I had, my parents had moved out to San Diego. They were out there for many years. But what happened is your parents had moved out to Phoenix. And I was coming back from San Diego. So I said, fuck, I'm going to stop in and check them out in Phoenix. I make a long story short, I get to the house. And Lisa, and I think the kids, you guys are all out there. That, but Vince never came home from work that day. He knew I was coming. Nigga knew I was coming, but got together with some cats. This is even in Phoenix. This is years after he left Albuquerque, still in the grocery and everything. Because he eventually, like I said, came back from Phoenix and ended up living here in Albuquerque still. But he had migrated to Phoenix, working, doing good. But he still last year on some people even out there with the whole drug thing. You know, but he never came home. So I'm just sitting up in the apartment. But you gotta ask Lisa, but I mean, Lisa sat there. I'm not sure how many hours and eventually did come home. You know, Lord knows what he, you know, basically just out doing Vince shit. The Vince just disappeared on you, you know. He just be gone, you know. That was his M.O., you know. When the kids and everybody came around, I'm trying to think of what year that really was. I don't think I, have, I used to have a lot of pictures of everybody, but some of the pictures are hard copies because it's way before digital cameras and everything came around. But I have some at the house, I think. There were so many different pictures. Vince, I'm not sure if you know, Vince was a photographer. Early on, your dad, not, he, he, he wasn't a photographer, I mean, he didn't have any formal training, but he had cameras and he loved to take pictures. He had hundreds of thousands of pictures, but he lost them all. Those pictures were things he loved more than anything. He loved them more than, but he lost them all. He had them in a storage, he didn't pay the storage. He loved those pictures around for years and years. Anybody that knows Vince well knows how much pictures he took. He had more pictures of all of us Every event, everything we ever did in our life, Vince took pictures of it. That's he had thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures. Thousands of pictures. He would even come by my school since I was still in high school and come by and just be taking pictures of me at the school. Just 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 come by and start snapping pictures for whatever reason. There was his MO. He just liked to do it. Like we was at either teenage years or like early twenties. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, like I say, by the time, by the time your dad, you know, got heavily involved with your mom, man. I mean, he was still a real hard-working guy. I mean, still, you know, like I said, just. Doing this thing, like I said, he had just bought a brand new, real nice Thunderbird, man. This thing was turbo, like a five-speed turbo Thunderbird. Real sharp car, all leather. I mean, just doing really, really well for himself. I mean, Vince had a lot of really nice things. And the thing about Vince was, he was a gift giver. He always gave his parents really nice gifts. Go give his dad a really nice watch. Go buy his mom a really nice bracelet. You know, he's very much a giver. I've sat there and watched him shop for other people. He had, you know, a couple of different girlfriends before he had Lisa. You know, a couple Jehovah Witness girlfriends, a couple girls that were extremely, you know, nice looking girls, extremely good families, very rich. At the time, living in Fort Hills. Fort Hills used to be a very upscale neighborhood. You know, in Albuquerque over the years, it's become a little less prominent, but at one point it was very prestigious. 
Miss had an extremely nice girlfriend, lived in Fort Hills, nice family, nice home, everything, you know. It was the first time in his life that he was truly in love and the girl broke his heart. She was seeing somebody else too at the same time, ended up marrying somebody else. But then, there was Jehovah's Witness, and so in, in Jehovah's Witness world, you typically don't have sex with, you know, the person before you get married, but you do do a certain level of courting. And see, so he was courting her with the intention of marriage, but they weren't very, they weren't intimate because obviously they're Christians. But for some reason, this girl ended up getting together with somebody else and having an intimate relationship. Why Vince was courting her and trying to be a good guy. And that, well, no, that's the first thing that kind of gets into a guy's head and kind of starts getting you a little bit unstable because now all of a sudden your heart broke and you're dealing with a girl that's fucking around with your head and you don't even know how to deal with it. But that's the first time that that, that kind of bullshit kind of entered Vince's mind to where, you know, his stability, his, his emotional stability was kind of shook up. Because who, who, who would suspect dating a Jehovah's Witness, someone that you think would be an honest, faithful, loyal person, only to find out that she even was dating somebody else? Very heartbreaking, man. He was very hurt over it. It really did bother him. You know, come on, man. Those were the first things that I know really, really hurt him. Make a long story short, man, he ended up moving in with a guy that he worked with, you know, a guy that uh, worked with at, at first with him. To make a long story short, the guy that he moved in with, uh, you know, he had got into an accident in this really nice 76 Camaro. To make a long story short, the car was totaled. And I ended up going over there and buying the car off of the dude for $1,200. I thought Vince was going to buy it, you know, because Vince had every right to buy it. But for whatever reason, instead of buying it, he allowed me to buy it. Vince, because like this, this was Vince's roommate. And I wanted that car bad, but Vince could have easily bought it. But I buy it for $1,200, and I probably put maybe another $1,500 in it just to fix it back up. But I had a beautiful Camaro for very cheap, only because Vince said, no, man, you like it, you go ahead and have it, you know. He was the kind of cat he was, you know. Yeah, but, and he could afford it way easier than I could. He had the job, he had the money, everything. To me, I had to, you know, go through hoops to get the money, you know. But he wanted me to have it. He stepped aside, and I'm like, you go ahead and have it. You know, all that type of stuff. I let him drive the shit out of it, you know, and he did all that type of thing, you know. But he definitely stepped aside and let me have it. All those types of things. He always did that kind of cool stuff, man. Yeah. He always got dope, man. The real cool cat. You know, you see him in his fucked up stages, like, uh, where it was, like, real bad. Oh, man. Like, like, I saw him trying to, trying to talk to my own wife. Like, trying to, like, like throw some game at my own wife. That's how disrespectful it got. I stepped out of the house, I went, in, you know, went to get something else from the store or whatever, him and my wife were in the house, and he trying to throw game at her, like, what? What kind of crazy stuff is this, man? Now, man, you got a box? You know, man, you about to box yeah, over this, man. I don't let shit like that go, you know? And so, me and him had to box a couple times, man. I'm not gonna ever say I killed Vince's ass or he killed my ass or anything, but we got into some physical confrontations towards the end. It was hurtful, you know? It was really hurtful, I've seen him box. you know? Well, the thing is, he had long reach. Vince had a long reach. He could snap off some punches. Don't think he couldn't snap off some punches. He could. Yeah, I've seen him. Uh -huh. He could snap off some punches. Don't, if anybody thinks Vince couldn't punch, they didn't fight him. Because he could fight. He wasn't a punch. I'll tell you that. He wasn't. He could fight. He snapped off. He, could, he had long arms. You had to come in on his ass. You know? You had to uppercut that bitch. You know, you had to. <laughs>
I'm serious. <laughs> but I had to fight him a couple of times, man, towards the end. I didn't like to do it, you know, because he was he he meant a lot to me. I loved him more than my own my own family, you know. But it got to some of the time it got that disrespectful, you know. And so it was what it was. What was like the I guess from maybe I was twenty to uh, late twenties on? What was that relationship like? Oh, he was like, Yeah, but he was all he was such a, a jet setter. It was nothing for him to get up and go. Gentlemen doing. Oh, do you want to get him one more beer? Let me get you one more. Are you sure? I'll take the tech. You know, he, he was always popping in and popping out, popping in and popping out. Yeah. I got No man, I can't let you do that. Are you serious? Man, why did not even expect that is so unbelievably generous of you, man. Let me go put on some waters before because sometimes the beer don't work. Okay. Let me go add some waters, it should be ready though. Uh, you want to put on some what? Some wires. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man. The only thing I can tell you, man, is, is your, as far as truly ever loving someone outside of my family, because like I said, I knew Vince way before I ever had my first girlfriend, way before I ever truly even knew what love was. He's the first person outside of my family that I truly loved, man. I loved him. Deeply loved him like a family member, you know. Cared about him emotionally, deeply. Like, I cried for weeks when I heard that he had passed away. I could not believe that he had passed away. He was a big brother, he was a dad, he was a dear friend, he was an enemy at times, he was, you know, a teacher, he was everything, man. He was a very good reader, very smart in school. People don't understand how, how smart he was. People don't understand how white, Vince had white, white teeth. Vince's teeth was, he had a gorgeous, gorgeous smile. People don't understand, you know, a lot about Vince. If they did, they would understand what kind of person he was. He was very, very, uh, outstanding person, was not normal, was not average, you know, almost didn't, close to have been a noble, you know, and like everything you see in me, I'm trying to emulate him in some way, trying to be as noble as he was, my memories of him, you know, because I don't have anybody else in my life, any other men, not my, my stepfathers, not any other Jehovah's Witness, one of the most noble men I have ever known, and I have known a lot of guys, none that have affected me the same way that your dad has. Uh, and I mean that sincerely, you know. And how many men do you know have really have, have ever can affect us? None. That was six years older than me, and I idolized him. You know, I idolized him. And when he came and got me, those are the best moments of my life. You know. All right, guys, take it easy. Thank you, guys. Because how many, how many teenage guys would give an 11 year old boy even the time of day? None. To this day, you know, me and my own kids ride motocross and we do all kind of stuff only because Vince was gracious enough to, to put it in me because this other friend of his put it in him and he put it in me and believe it or not, man, I remember every time me and your dad would go ride because your dad owned the Can-Am but he would leave it parked at his, at his parents' house up the street and Vince would be in and out of town but every once in a while he'd come in town and we'd get together and go riding. And for years, this was a faster runner than me. 
he could write, write everything he could do better than me. But he came in town right when I was, you know, right around 18, and I was running track. I had been doing, a, you know, just playing basketball, doing a lot of sports, and had just started building myself up. Vince thought I was the same cat, so he came back talking to me like I was the same little guy, and he didn't know that a transformation had happened, you know. And so right away he was like, well, fuck it, nigga, let's go run, you know, because what we, back in the day, everybody thought they were fat, everybody thought they were jet fast, everybody thought they were like O.J. Simpson or whatever. So right away you break a nigga down on a foot race, pretty much you break him down in anything. Right away, let's go race. Right away, I smoked this bitch bad, you know, only because I've been running track, I've been running, he didn't know. And, and it, anybody's ever ran track, you know the type of workouts you're going through. He was still just Vince. You know, Joe Witness, they don't play sports, they don't do nothing. I moved out of the house when I was 15. If I had been a Joe Witness, I would have never been able to do it. No. Thank you guys for that. It was a pleasure to with y'all. Thank you, thank you. But because I moved out at an early age, you know, I was able to play sports. But if I had stayed at home with my family, of course, I would have never been able to do anything. So, of course, that's why I moved out at age 15. But make a long story short, best move away, he don't know that a transformation didn't happen. And so the little kid that he used to, you know, just tell, go do this, do that. Because make a long story short, before I even had my first job, Vince worked there. At first, he was a manager over there. Vince would hire me and my little brother and have us come and clean out their back garbage can area where they, they, they throw all the garbage. It's like all the oil, the grease, just a filthy area. They would pay us both, you know, 15, 20 bucks. And to us, it was more money than we ever had in our pockets ever. Anytime you got 20 bucks, that was a lot of money. So he would come and give us that little money and I would do anything he told me to Vince. They can get up here and I need you to do whatever, whatever. We own it, you know. He didn't have to even say it twice. We right on it, you know. But he always had a little work. And he could have done it himself. He, didn't, he was trying to put it in my pocket because he knew I had a fucked up stepdad. It wasn't giving me nothing. We didn't celebrate birthdays. We didn't get nothing ever. We, we didn't have nothing. You know. Lucky to get that JCPenney magazine once in a long while. Vince would line my pocket, you know. He made me work for it. Puts my, and to this day, I'm a worker because of him, you know. Yeah. That type of deal. You know how to work. Mm -hmm. You know how to work. It seems like you've just been working your whole life. Like well, the only thing I can tell you is, is people like your dad, you know, to need something every once in a while, that's all of us. Every, every man's going to come up and down. There's no fault in that, but to always need something that sometimes people avoid people to always need something. You don't want to be the kind of cat that people are trying to avoid, you know. You want to be the kind of cat people embrace. And every once in a while, even if you do need something, talk about how you're going to get it, you know. Or if you do need something and you make these special arrangements and you can't come through with these special arrangements. Oh, Dad, I need this, but I'm going to get this check. I'm going to get this check. I'm going to come and break, pop this money back over to you. Okay, well, cool. Then on the day you're supposed to come and pop the money back, I don't see you, you know. But then two weeks later, you need another bounce. You want me to pop you again? Come on, man. You ain't never came back with the first one. But yet, in your mind, you would think you could come hit me again? There's a disconnect, you know. And sometimes cats are like that. With stays and other cats, they are like that. But my situation is... With every man, you have a choice. You never have to promise anything to another man. I can say, right now, I'm not, I need $100. I can't pay you back. Can you spot me? So you gotta say yes and no. You know, you can't blame me for making me feel uncomfortable. You can't tell another man I made you feel uncomfortable. You made yourself feel uncomfortable. You know, I ain't made you feel nothing. You know, I asked you for what I need. You know, the only thing you can do is say yes and no. And my situation is, is 
Everybody has to take responsibility for themselves 100% of the time. I can ask you for anything I want. You can ask me for anything you want. I can tell you yes, I can tell you. Everybody has the same ability as everybody else. But when you destroy your credibility with somebody and you come back and ask me again and there's no credibility there, Agree. Yeah. You know, one thing I can tell you, man. I mean, that's how. That's what ended up happening with, with my dad and, and my mom and a lot of people. I come uh, back to it's like the ask was too big because I know the, the representation for the action that needed to be made mm -hmm. wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Like they, they wasn't moving in the way they needed to be, and that's why they're like lacking and shit. Mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking. You can't teach that to somebody who don't want to know it. Man, they say that speech and conversation is probably less than twenty percent of the language everything else is, is body movement eye contact you know just how comfortable a person actually feels in their conversation how natural things flow you know all those types of things and when you start really looking at people a lot of times you know especially as it pertains to you know investigators or uh, people giving out lie detector tests they'll talk in depth about the techniques they use to you know just to get people to open up. And typically, it used to be they get you in an interrogation room and start knocking you in your head and beating you down. Now they get you in there, you want some coffee? You want a flavored creamer? They try to soften your shit up so side that you think these people are on your side. But you know, you've been told them in your life story. You know, all psychological bullshit. You know, they don't. And so what I'm saying is you, you gotta copy you're trying to get away from. You gotta be really, really careful because these days, man, people are always playing the dumb line, but really, man, it's a scheme on you, man. Anytime you got a guy playing too weak or too soft, you gotta really look at that, because that's one of the oldest games in the book, man. Get you trusting them, get soften you up, and then pop. You know, and that's cats. You know. And so what I'm just simply saying is, is No matter what happens in this world, you know, man, stay on your on your feet. And even if it pertains to my own kids, I have a son, Stacy's son. And make a long story short, this little white boy, but he throws fits of tantrums. If I tell this kid, I say, man, apologize. I don't like the way you say it. I need you to apologize. He'll start having a fits of tantrum because somebody told him to apologize. If I raise my voice at him, he'll have a fits of tantrum. And what happens is my wife comes to his aid and she'll start getting mad at me as if I've done something to a kid. I'm like, but this is where I'm getting at. My wife wanted to go see LL Cool J because LL Cool J is coming to Albuquerque next week and I started thinking, do I like LL, you know, LL, do I like him or not? I started thinking, because his catalog, it is what it is. And I thought to myself, we're going, baby. And I said, we're going only for one reason. He's got one jam out that I got to go see. I gotta hear it. She said, what, what jam is it? What song is that? Mama say, knock you out. I said, I don't want no mamas coming hugging kids when they got a problem. You better go knock that motherfucker out. If he come at home and they done took something from your ass, get out there and knock that motherfucker out. You ain't getting no sugar. You're not getting no hugs. You ain't getting shit. Get out there and fight. And Mama say, knock you out is a solid motherfucking jam. And LL came out with that. And that alone, some artists are lucky to have one song. Hello, has a catalog. I don't like always songs. That long song song. Come on, Rob Bass got one song. Come on, a lot of cats only have one song. You know, even uh, uh, Little John got read one song, really. You know, that's all you need, you know. And that, but L got more than one. So I got to give L his credit. I had to think for a long time about liking him, because a lot of times I don't like L, I do like L. But 
I'm a fan. And sometimes I got it, but I'm a real fan. When I say I'm a fan, of I'm not a bullshit. I'm a fan for a reason. And I'm a fan because, you know, he, he, he's a solid dude. And been long time married to his wife. Just a whole, a whole lot of real serious. Anytime you got guys been married 20, 30, 40 years to the same woman, you know, level of commitment that most cats don't have, you know. So you gotta. Just that alone. Not watch people like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it's ready whenever you are. I didn't even know it was still waiting. I thought I did it. I, did. I, thought, I thought we were clear too. I thought we were done. No, we are though. I'm gonna stop on this too. <laughs>